Hello and welcome to this week's edition of SBC This Week, a roundup of news and views from around the Southern Baptist Convention. SBC This Week is hosted by Amy Whitfield and Jonathan Howe. Well, hey, Jonathan. How are you? I am doing well. Uh, a lot warmer here than it is where you are. Well, this week it's been better uh, the last few days, but yeah, I think it's still cooler than, than you. What's it been there today? Uh, 95. Okay, yep. You are a lot warmer. Yeah, it's like 59 are... there. You are in Canada, for those uh, listeners who may not be tracking along with us here. We are, and actually where we are in uh, Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island right now, has gotten up into the 70s the last couple of days. But Yes, but it was much lower where we were uh, over the weekend in Nova Scotia, and we were freezing. So it was... Um, it's been a big a big swing. Well, uh, the SBC has continued on uh, without you, Amy, uh, this week, without you being in the country. Uh, a, a full show we've got today, quite a few news items. But uh, first, let's uh, thank our sponsor this week. This week's podcast is sponsored by Southeastern Seminary's new GO Certificates. GO Certificates are specifically designed to equip leaders in the church with valuable training for all people at any level of experience. This program provides sound teaching with practical application in an efficient format that can begin at any time and will fit even the busiest schedule. Southeastern wants to prepare all church members to grow in their knowledge of Scripture and to live out the Great Commission wherever they are. Start today and go with Southeastern. For more information, visit sebts.edu slash go certificates. That's all one word there, sebts.edu slash go certificates. All right, Amy, also want to remind our listeners about the new feature we have on the website, the Data Point. It's a weekly email that comes every Tuesday featuring a statistic uh, that is relevant to the SBC and the church here in America. Uh, those come every Tuesday, so be sure to sign up for that at sbcthisweek.com. You will see the sign-up link in the sidebar, or you can visit sbcthisweek.com slash data point. All right, Amy, let's jump into the news this week. Big news coming out of South Carolina. Perry Noble has been released by New Spring Church uh, as a result of alcohol abuse. Yeah, of course, this this happened after we, we had already left, so I hadn't been able to track this quite as much, but certainly a, a big Big story there. They've already named uh, an interim, Clayton King, who's a ministry leader there, has been a teaching pastor, so knows the the people very well. Uh, but I think it, it, it was a tough weekend for the folks at New Spring. Yes, it was. And uh, we bring this up because this is the largest Southern Baptist church in the denomination. Around 30,000 people attend a New Spring each week in the South Carolina area. They have multiple campuses all around the state, not just in the Anderson area. Uh, but uh, this is quite a surprise, and we, we kind of caught wind of this early last week, and it became official at the end of the week on Sunday. Uh, they read a statement explaining everything. Since then, Perry has come out and uh, explained some things and clarified things as well. I just wanted to, to kill some of the rumors that were out there. And uh, he is seeking uh, treatment for alcoholism uh, through a psychiatrist and a treatment center. And we wish him the best. Uh, Southern Baptists and alcohol have a, a kind of a long history. We've had over 60 resolutions passed about alcohol. I, I saw that in one of the stories from Baptist Press this week. Um, yeah. And it's just uh, something that you don't really hear a lot of. And uh, we've had also some stories. Uh, Ed Stetzer had a really good story about, you know, asking pastors uh, that may deal with this uh, to get help. And we'll link to that as well as the, the story with uh, Perry Noble from Baptist Press. 
Moving on, another departure unrelated to this one. Uh, Owen Strand uh, resigned as the president of the Council on Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Had nothing to do with the uh, the Trinity debate. There was even a story about that this week. It was just one of these things where Owen has the new center at uh, Midwestern that he is in charge of and just had uh, had to give that more time and could not really uh, fulfill the role at CBMW and give the, uh, the, the amount of attention to Midwestern that was needed. So, you know, kind of one of those had to go. And from what I hear, the CBMW should be releasing a announcement on his successor as the president of the CBMW next week. Yes. And we, we had covered just a few weeks ago, his being named uh, the director of the Center for Public Theology. And so I know we will, we'll see a lot of things coming out of, out of there. So this just has uh, developed out of that. Yes, and, and this wasn't a surprise to those of us uh, kind of that, that know Owen and know what was going on there. So it was just one of the, the you know, we only have so much time in the world. So uh, the Center of Public right. Theology at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary will get uh, the bulk of Owen's time now. So uh, congratulations to him on getting that center off the ground. Look forward to everything that they will be putting out uh, coming out of Kansas City. All right, Amy, other big news, and I, I'm shocked that we didn't cover this last week, and I think it's because we, we recorded on Wednesday because you were leaving for Canada, so we recorded a little bit early, but yes. the ARC opened last week. I Everything I saw about it, I thought Jonathan really should be there. I should have been. You know who was yes. there this weekend? Uh, Bill Nye. Well, yeah, he was there too. Bill Nye, um, the science guy The science guy, yeah, came there, and, and right. also Brad Keselowski, the NASCAR driver. The NASCAR race last week was in Kentucky. Okay, am I going to get in trouble if I tell you I had no idea who that was when you said his name? I, it doesn't surprise me. Okay. Yeah, it, this is a little little lowbrow for the the Whitfield house. Um, even though you okay, did grow I didn't up, say you that. You did grow up on a, a tobacco farm I, in I Tennessee. Thank you. I did not say that. I just don't know NASCAR drivers. I, I don't know how you live in North Carolina. You grew up on a tobacco farm. I mean, how do you not know NASCAR? Anyway, okay, moving so, on. Really great NASCAR driver went to the Ark. Yes, he he won the race Saturday night. How did he spend Sunday? He was at the Ark. At the Ark. That's yes. that's impressive. So he and his family posted a picture Sunday of him in front of the massive Ark. That thing was, and it really looks big whenever you're taking a picture in front of it. Let's just put it that way. This ark is massive. So a lot of stories coming out this week about the ark. Right, because it's the size of, of the actual ark. The yeah. actual ark, which we know is massive, was yes. massive. It had a lot of animals on it. It did. But the actual ark, the, uh, the, the, re, the remade ark here, the, the one in Kentucky now, has uh, 30 pairs of animals on it. And apparently a lot of bathrooms, according to the New York Times story. And a restaurant and kiosks. Yes. And coming food. soon, the possible Tower of Babel. Yes, I saw that story. They are planning to expand and add more things to add to the ark to connect with the answers in Genesis. Yes, I see what you did there. All right, so uh, yeah, so if you've been to the ark, we'd love to hear, see your pictures, tweet us your pictures of the ark. I've got a CD I can send. I've already sent the CD of the Getty, uh, the full album, but I have a special edition uh, Southeastern Hymn. CD yes. by the Gettys. I got a couple of those uh, from the event at SBC. I will send to the first person who sends me a picture of themselves at the Ark, I'll send you a free copy of the new Southeastern hymn uh, for the cause from the Gettys. Very nice. Very nice. We look forward to seeing those. Yes. So send us pictures of you at the Ark. Yes. And I'm 
looking forward to the day when Jonathan, you make it up there because you're very excited about this yes. and you get pictures of the art. If somebody so. can get me tickets for the family of six, uh, we gladly go and uh, check it out. So we'll, we'll do that too. And I'll send you a, a copy of the CD too. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so the ARC is open. We'll see how that turns out. I uh, can't wait to uh, actually see that in person. I, I know I'll probably make it up there one day. All right, uh, a little update on the, another story here, Amy. The Missouri Baptist Foundation, uh, we mentioned uh, a couple months ago that they had lost a case uh, and basically saying the that the foundation trustee governance would return to the Missouri Baptist Convention. Well, they appealed that, and a uh, July 5th ruling affirmed a unanimous uh, ruling that came back in May and basically said, nope, it's going to go back to the Missouri Baptist Convention. So I think... The appeals. There's like one other chance that they can uh, they can take it to right. the Missouri Supreme Court, and after that, it's pretty much done. So it, I think pretty much done. I think yeah. actually it's pretty much done now. So uh, it looks like the Missouri Baptist Convention will resume governance of the Missouri Baptist Foundation. Well, that's a a very interesting um, looks like conclusion to this to this particular story. I know that you followed that for a long time, um, but. I think I think you're right. That's probably it. So uh, John Yates already uh, has has commented that they're prepared to you know welcome the foundation back in. They're working toward a smooth transition. So I think we'll we'll see that in the days ahead. In other legal matters, Amy, uh, my congressman or congresswoman uh, Diane Black uh, sponsored a bill this past week that approved and it was approved by the House. That it's called the Conscience Protection Act. And shields abortion objectors. Yeah, actually, this is a new. Uh, I'm just now looking at this story for the first time because I'm not there, and so yeah. <laughs> some of these Blame things Canada. are just popping up. Yes, uh, but it looks like it got very good support from the Speaker of the House, Paul Ryan. Certainly, this kind of broke on uh, party lines, but that that's really great work by Congresswoman Black. Uh, to just start, I mean, we're seeing a shift in some of these things that religious liberty is becoming the more important question, the the ability for people to uh, act according to their conscience. And what's what's interesting is that now we're moving into needing to protect the rights of uh, doctors, nurses, um, healthcare workers, and uh, it's becoming more and more important to do these things that I, I'm not sure 10 years ago we even realized that a, a law like this would be needed, but it, it most definitely is. Yeah, it seems like the religious liberty, that issue has kind of snowballed in the last three years, maybe. Yeah. It, you know, it, it's gone from something that you, you may hear every once in a while to a major, major issue impacting all walks of life. Uh, you mentioned doctors and nurses. We we had the religious liberty with the, the nuns, the you know, the the sisters who had sued for abortion because they were mandated to have abortion coverage in their health plan, uh, just all kind of things. And then, and then that even goes to the California bill that we mentioned last week on the show uh, that's affecting higher education and their ability to kind of hold to convictions. Uh, but it's not just religious liberty here in the U.S. Uh, another story came out this week from Russia and a religion law there that would prohibit evangelism and, and preaching outside state-sanctioned sites. This sounds like the old Russia. Yeah, that's what I thought. And I, I did see this pass through this week, uh, this headline. And 
this is really disturbing. And I think it's one of these things that is just starting to sink in, to sink into us. And I thought the same thing. It kind of sounds like the old Russia. Uh, I think we're just beginning to scratch the surface of some of the challenges we're going to see in that, in that part of the world. But the huge effect and, and this, uh, this story, we've got the, the story from Baptist Press that just lays out the effect that that's going to have on, um, on missions and, and the challenges that it will, it will present. That it doesn't mean that, uh, that the churches will not survive, but it, it does mean that, that things are going to be different. Yeah. And, well, and one of the things, too, Russia, like the United States, has a, a far-reaching influence. A, a law like this that's passed in Russia, you would not be surprised to see passed in other Eastern European bloc or, or even Asian countries that may have similar um, leadership and similar uh, governing structures. So uh, this is something that, that might not, in the end, be limited to Russia and, and its effects and, and how things are played out. Also in Europe, this is kind of an interesting, interesting story. There's a, a new update of the King James Version of the Bible. This is, this is a fascinating story. Yes. Uh, it was in Baptist Press. Uh, it's called the Modern English Version, and it's been provided to uh, Queen Elizabeth II with a special dedication in it, written by a retired Army chaplain, James F. Lindsay, uh, and a, he's a Southern Baptist evangelist. So this version was uh, had a... a a translation team of 47, and that included 10 Southern Baptists. And so they made a special edition specifically for Queen Elizabeth II, and it was presented to her in a, in a ceremony in back in May. Um, so that's just kind of interesting. I, I'm i a big fan of Queen Elizabeth. I, I love, love royal family stuff, and there's a lot of kind of British flavor over here, so I've seen her picture on currency oh, she's on the coin, yeah. things like that yeah yeah so uh so I, i've had her on the brain but very interesting and uh they've we've had some seminary professors that participated in that including uh dr tj betts from southern seminary who was my sunday school teacher a long time ago i was wondering if you um, knew him yeah um wonderful sunday school teacher and uh eric mitchell from southwestern and uh, a few others so great participation by southern baptist but that's kind of just a cool deal I noticed that you you left off the name of the professor of religion at Oklahoma Baptist. Didn't want to go for that one, did you? Why don't you say that one? Ishwaran Mudliar. Very, very well done. I'm really tired. It's late. It's late in Canada. I really did not want to try. Yeah, and the the odd thing is I had never even heard of this translation, so I had I had no idea that we were updating the the KJV. I thought that was already updated in the NKJV, Uh, but yeah, uh, you know. Here we are. We've got a modern English version of the King James Bible. It had been presented to Queen Elizabeth by a Southern Baptist. So Fantastic. Just, just one of those stories that I didn't see coming. So I'll have to try to get my hands on a copy of the MEV Bible and uh, see what that looks like this week. So, all right, moving on. We've got some new research just dropped today. Uh, we're recording this on July 14th. This research just dropped on changing genders and is it morally wrong for an individual to identify with a gender different than the sex they were born? And 45% of Americans uh, say that it's okay. Pretty incredible, although not, 
I guess not surprising. So let's be clear, this was this was done by Lifeway Research, but they asked 1,000 Americans. So this is not uh, specified by, uh, it's, it's not 1,000 Protestants or, or Southern Baptists, it's just Americans. So this helps us get a picture of what the culture is around us. Um, and uh, they, they could agree or disagree that changing one's gender or identifying with a different gender is morally wrong, or they could select the option, it's not a moral issue at all. So 45% disagreed that it's morally wrong, and 14% said it is not a moral issue. So that basically says that, you know, really you start looking, now you're hitting it's close to 60% that it's just not wrong. It's not not an issue. Um, Only 35% said it is morally wrong for an individual to identify with a gender different to the sex uh, they were born. Yeah, and that was uh, all Americans. But right. they, they took out the evangelicals of that, and 54% of evangelicals said that it was wrong. So right. there is a higher number there than that 35% of Americans. I, these numbers really surprised me. I expected it to be higher. I, yeah, I did too. And, and so that, that tells us something just about the climate uh, that we're in and, and that views are shifting. It does. Uh, so I think maybe this is one of those where the more – uh, we become aware and educated on the issue. Those numbers may change around. Uh, I think these numbers are a bit soft, possibly, just because it hasn't been something that we really think a lot about yet. So uh, I think that's av- also evidenced by one in seven not thinking that it's even a moral issue. Uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll have to see if they uh, follow up on this and, and track this long term. So it would be fascinating to watch this and uh, the team over at Life Here Research and Scott McConnell and uh, and company uh, to see if uh, we have something an update on this next year or so. Yep. Yeah. They always help us to understand uh, the the climate, as uh, Ed Stetzer would often say. Facts are our friends, and as tough as as that is to to sort of accept and understand, it tells us something about the world we're in. All right, Amy. I'm going to let you handle this last news item. Uh, mainly because I don't it's think about this you. is a news item. This is it's totally not a news, news item. item. There's a huge feature story on Amy Woodfield this week in the uh, Biblical Recorder, the official state paper of the Baptist in North Carolina. So huge, huge story about Amy Woodfield. I can't wait to see this one in print. We need to get it, frame it, and and get it mounted on the on the wall. Oh, in I don't, I don't think that's necessary. But um, it was fun. They, Seth Brown, the content editor there, just reached out and and thought it might make an interesting it story. Was. And but but what I enjoyed is it just gave an opportunity to sort of talk about um, the process and and why it matters and you know it's one of those things that you you like something that is a little unique and different and it's enjoyable to sit down and and learn that maybe some other people have an interest in it too so I I thought he did a great job with the story I appreciated some of the the focuses in there so you know what my favorite paragraph in the story was what uh, the the paragraph right under the heading of parliamentary training and how you developed your parliamentary procedure skills. Oh, yes. Yeah. You have I bet to tell the said. story. I, it, it's right there. Yeah. Yes. So it, it mentions your role in model international diplomacy competitions. Right. And that you took on Harvard and Ivy League institutions in this. Yes. And you were the vice chair of a committee and you served as assistant secretary general. Well, so... 
it was. I mean, we it was a lot of schools participated in Harvard, Air Force Academy, Naval Academy a lot. But in this particular competition, one school that had just had a lot of training and we had a phenomenal professor uh, was this liberal arts women's college in upstate South Carolina. And he'd been training teams for years and we just, we went and it, it was a good, it was just a good thing for our team. So I got a lot of great experience and learned from a lot of people. But as you said, I didn't learn parliamentary procedure so that like, because I needed to be a parliamentarian, we just had that we had to know it because that's how you handled um, the debate there. So it's been kind of fun to pull that out the last few years and sort of uh, dust it off and and stuff. But it was a neat story. I was I was I was very appreciative. Well, Amy, it's a great story, and congrats to Seth Brown for getting all the information there. And, and I mean, he he uncovered some stuff back in there. So a lot of things that I had known just because we've been friends for so long. Uh, that that he was able to pull out. So well done, Seth. And uh, you have to read the whole article. And uh, you know it talks about your history of working at the three different entities that you've worked at uh, now. So uh, yes. very few people have worked at three different entities in the SBC, at, especially at the level uh, that you've been at. So I thought it was a great story. Uh, and uh, you know, hat tip to uh, Dr. Ronnie Floyd and Dr. Barry McCarty for selecting you as the first female parliamentarian in the SBC history speaking of yeah speaking of spc history before we jump into that once again thanks to our sponsor we mentioned uh your current employer southeastern their go certificates check those out sebts.edu slash go certificates and that's going to bring us to my favorite part of the week this week in spc history amy blow our minds i went searching i was really hoping to find something that might be of interest to me this week and i did Finally, when I got to uh, the Baptist Press issue from around this time in 1950, and uh, it was a story based out of Toronto, Canada. Just a little blip, just telling something, but I think it's very interesting. It was talking about a new movement among Canadian Baptists uh, to lead, at that time, what's called the Canadian Baptist Federation into the World Council of Churches. And the article pointed out that traditionally Canadian Baptists had been separatists. Um, so, and, and it's interesting. I would like to learn more about this. Um, I learned some in working with Ed Stetzer because he came up here to speak to Canadian uh, churches and, and groups at times. But, you know, now they have the Canadian Southern Baptist Convention. We've seen several different uh, churches up here. But they, they talk about how Canadian Baptists adopted a unified budget for the first time in their history uh, at this time in 1950, that they would give 31% to foreign missions and 31% to home missions of a total budget of $240,000. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's interesting. I, I want to point out that we've seen a ton of churches around here uh, of a number of different denominations, and tons of them are closed, just boarded up. Wow. Uh, so just empty, just done, empty. Yeah. And, and we've seen a lot of those. Um, and no Mounties. No, no Mounties. But we saw something the other day which was incredibly encouraging. It's in a, an area called uh, Cape Breton, 
Island in a in the Marguerite Valley, and we passed a, a church that was Marguerite Valley Baptist Church. Uh, it looked they they had signage outside, they had some um, a schedule posted, so we went back and looked it up online, and it is a church that is affiliated with the Canadian Southern Baptist Convention. Actually, has partnerships with uh, North Carolina Baptists with some other local associations, and they've set as a goal. Uh, to plant 100 churches in that uh, Cape Breton Island area. And we were reading just encouraging things that they were doing. So there are vibrant churches that are uh, are doing great work in a tough, tough area. Uh, and, the, and there are there are just spots and pockets of that all over. So when I read this, that they'd been uh, t- traditionally separatists, I look at it and say, um, 31% to foreign missions, 31% to home missions, uh, sort of thinking outside themselves, uh, all started this week in SBC history. Wow, that's kind of cool. Did Keith yeah. uh, contact him and volunteer to uh, be a teaching pastor there during the summers? <laughs> like it's summer on Cape Breton Island? Yeah, it was funny. We found out about their services too late and, and didn't get to, to, to get to them. But I think we, we, we may reach out to them and just say, hey, we passed your church. We're really encouraged by what you all are doing. Because just seeing the area they're in, uh, their desire to plant churches, it's just pretty incredible. That's pretty cool. Yep. Very all right. neat. All right. Well, that's going to bring us to our resource of the week. Amy, your resource of the week is, I'm guessing it's Canadian. Yeah. I think I'm just going to have to go out and, and go with an old tried and true resource we got to have some fiction lovers out there. And I'm just going to say, if you haven't read Anne of Green Gables, you need to give it a try. Or if we have people out there who are parents of um, girls in middle school, you know, but it, it really hits. I read it in middle school, but it all the way up until adulthood. I've seen a lot of um, of of things uh, pertaining to the the author of that Lucy Maud Montgomery. We've seen a couple of plays and have just been reminded of how much I love that book. And so I'm going to throw that out there as my resource of the week. If you haven't read it, you should. It's a total delight. All right. Well, my resource of the week is a new book from a professor J. Allen branch at Midwestern theological seminary. He's got a new book out born this way, uh, asking the, the question, you know, are, uh, is homosexuality something that's inherent in people and they're born that way or not? Uh, so he's pushing back on that theory that uh, people are born gay. And uh, so it's a new book that just came out recently, and I've seen a couple of articles and um, reviews of it online. Everything I'm hearing about it has been really good. I've got a copy I just got in at the office, haven't had a chance to read it yet, but everything I'm seeing about it is outstanding. So check out the new book from J. Allen Branch, a professor at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary and, and a Southeastern grad as well, Amy. Uh, he's got his PhD from Southeastern. Yeah. Uh, but uh, he's got a new book out. Check that out, Born This Way. That's going to do it for us this week on SBC This Week. Uh, be on the lookout uh, for the data point email on Tuesday. Uh, be sure to sign up for that over at sbcthisweek.com. As always, all the links to uh, the Baptist Press articles, the UPI articles, uh, Lifeway Research, Biblical Recorder, everything that we use this week is available over at uh, 
sbcthisweek.com. Be sure to click on those links. Check out the full stories. And as July winds down, that should uh, remind us that uh, you've got school starting again at Southeastern and all our our Southern Baptist seminaries will be kicking off uh, classes for the fall here in August. So be in prayer for everybody on those seminary campuses as they get things ramped up for the fall semesters. And as well as uh, we got trustee meetings coming up. I know our trustee meeting is, is toward the end of August and a bunch of the other ones will be uh, firing up again. There's usually a, a little break there in July. So we'll kind of keep an eye out for those trustee meetings kicking off again in August. And then we got executive committee coming up uh, later in the year, uh, the, the RLC National Conference, Amy, is uh, next month here in Nashville as well. So uh, it's going to be a busy fall in the SBC. Uh, as always, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yep. You're coming in, I think, for the ERLC National Conference. That's correct. End of August, yes. Yep. So, we, so. we'll have to revisit our Nashville preview for that. Yes. We got a, a new place that you're going to have to check out when you get here, Steadfast Coffee. We'll talk about that and more leading up to the ERLC National Conference. Thanks again for joining us, everyone, this week, and we'll see you next week. See you next week.